My friends, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. The narratives of Scripture, as whenever we break open God's Word, are given to us to teach, to reveal to us something of God's ways. We say that God's Word is living and active in the scriptures, so that when we read the word, it is God himself who speaks to us. That word is made flesh in Jesus. In this proclamation, Jesus is present to us in a very real way, in an even more profound way than when we'd open the Bible and read quietly to ourselves. That's the point of proclaiming the word in a, in a vocal way. We don't just say, okay, everybody turn to your Bibles or open your Magnificats and read amongst yourselves quietly, and then we'll come back when you've all read. But we proclaim it because God speaks to us, and we listen to him speak. Jesus is present. Jesus speaks. But at the same time, the Bible is very much our story, and it becomes our word, too. Today, in particular, two events of the scriptures, so to speak, are as much about us as they are about those who are named in the passages that we proclaim today. First, God asks absurd things. God's ways are beyond our understanding. In the so-called testing of Abraham that we hear from the book of Genesis, we see God ask the unthinkable, that Abraham offer up his son Isaac. One can't fathom asking to sacrifice your child. I suspect there is no more painful thing than to watch your own child suffer. Scholars debate about the meaning of this account, and I wonder whether it's more in the realm of an Old Testament parable rather than an historic event, meant to suggest that each of us may be asked to let go of what is most cherished for the sake of the Lord. Not in a literal sense of being, of being taken to the point of being asked to sacrifice another person, but it's simply about the notion of sacrifice, that sacrifice is hard. 
That's what makes it sacrifice. And this isn't just about Abraham, but it's about us. And then the Lord himself reveals to the privileged disciples, those closest to him, a glimpse of his true self, his best self, though they can't fathom what it means. The gospel writer tells us Peter speaks impetuously about building tents. He hardly knew what to say. They know, though, that it's a gift. They're encouraged. They're energized. And at this point in their journey with the Lord, it becomes a renewal of their strength to be disciples, to be learners, to be followers. And they're gaining insight about Jesus. And even as they're challenged, even as they're discouraged, these moments spur them on. In both cases, with Abraham and with the disciples, there is an encounter with God, a glimpse of the sacred, and a revelation of God's will that in both cases leave the witnesses awestruck but strengthened. The journey of Abraham, the journey of the disciples, are very much our journey. We're called to sacrifice at times. The Lord asks a lot of us, the church, the living body of Christ, and our faith itself ask difficult things of us. To be a member of the church means to take up the practice of the faith, as we call it. And sometimes what the church teaches suggests, asks, and even requires seems like a lot, especially during Lent. More is asked of us. And today, many people question our disciplines, and they see not an invitation to a life-giving relationship with Jesus, but merely a set of rules to be followed or boxes to be checked off as fulfilled or completed. Those are hard to sustain when we only see obligation, when we only see rules. Perhaps this is a good way to assess your own faith and your own relationship with the Lord, to see where Jesus might be calling you to something more. If you feel burdened by obligation and not as an invitation to a relationship, then maybe the Lord's calling you to that something more. There is something to be said. I'm not dissing our faith at all. There is something to be said for the practice of the faith, our actions, our fidelity, and our disciplines, as a means to strengthen our relationship with Jesus. That's why we do what we do. But I'd invite you to look at it the other way. Because to... To look at the practice of our faith as a means to strengthen the relationship takes dedication and discipline itself. But look at it the other way. See how it is that a living relationship with Jesus can move you to greater dedication and an approach to the practice of the faith that's not about disciplines or rules, but rather as acts of love for Jesus. Sometimes we get things backwards and we ask for compliance to the rules before we strengthen the relationship. And if all we do is expect conformity, compliance, or obedience, well, that's not life-giving, and that can't sustain itself. 
We need to be talking about life-giving relationship, about engagement in that, that then leads to all the fidelity, the sacrifice, the living, the identity of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. That's what happens for the disciples. That's what happens for Abraham. He's tested and he's willing to say yes because he already knows the Lord. He's already come to to believe and to trust. Without that life-giving believing, all the other stuff just becomes a burden that can't be sustained. Sacrifice is still sacrifice. But if there's no motivation for the sacrifice, then it's just an obstacle. We come face to face with mystery, just as Abraham and the disciples did. They were motivated by their love and trust that led them to follow and to say yes. And in doing that, they fell in love with the Lord all the more. As we come face to face here in the Mass, here in the life of the church, and deep in our own hearts, when we allow the Lord to enter and speak to us, he not only reveals something to us about himself, but he shows us something of ourselves, our best selves, the selves that he wants us to be. But we only see that when we allow him in. In these Lenten days, as we take on perhaps greater commitment, more sacrifice, more discipline, I encourage you to see that not as an end in itself, simply doing those things for the sake of doing them, but doing them to strengthen and to do them so as to get to know and love the Lord all the more, as the disciples desired to, as Abraham needed to. We see in the struggle, in the sacrifice, the hardship, the discipline, our own weakness. We know how fragile our lives are, how precarious life can be. There is frustration in that, of discerning, of knowing, and of doing. And sometimes maybe we get frustrated at the lack of progress in our own lives, or collectively for the church and society. But recognize this Lenten observance, this Lenten pilgrimage, not as discipline or sacrifice for its own sake, but as a way to express your love, as a way to show devotion, motivated not by discipline, not by rigors, but by love for the Lord. Because it's in the love for the Lord that the Lord could never ask too much because we would say yes simply because the Lord's asking us and because our love would motivate us to do anything and everything he asks. Amen.